Good morning, church. You know, I want you to imagine for just a moment a small rural congregation in South Missouri. Well, I guess if it's South Missouri, then it's South Missouri. Um, And some elders from that congregation, which number in two or three, decide that they want to put their hands into world missions. And so they uh, they get together their minister and a local Hispanic minister and one of the elders, and they travel to a remote village in the mountains of El Salvador. Well, this just to let you know, this young Hispanic minister, much younger, I might add, was Brother Leo Martinez, the Hispanic minister of the Heartland Church of Christ. And a much younger Leo, and I'm going to say that for the tape, but he heard that this morning and I'll just kind of keep razzing him over and over. And this elder and this minister stood on a mountain and they looked out across the village and Leo said these words. There's much work to do here. And it began a ministry that four congregations later. A preaching school later. A children's school that that helps children ages preschool through ninth grade later is now a vibrant work of God in the region of El Salvador by a very unlikely group, a small rural church in Monette, Missouri, with their biggest contributors from their church coming from men and women who work in a chicken processing plant. A very, a very unlikely host to such a great work of God. And what I want to tell us this morning, church, and I want to plant the seed for us here at Heartland is that's what God does. God takes normal, average, everyday people with all different kinds of struggles that you can imagine. And he raises out of that unlikely messengers of the gospel. So for all of you sitting in this room, there's hope. Okay, don't get down. There's hope. God's going to find a way to use all of us, no matter what. And I hope to to be able to help get that point across to you this morning. This morning, I want to introduce you to someone, someone that you know about, but maybe I'll introduce you a little deeper to him. His name is Saul of Tarsus, a.k.a. The Apostle Paul. Let's take a look at first Corinthians chapter 15 and some of the apostles writings. He's going to take us back in time. Starting in chapter 15 and verse one and follow along, we're going to unpack a lot of text here in a short amount of time this morning. I'm kind of warning you ahead of time. Your Bibles are going to smoke this morning. Now, brothers, I want you to I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand by this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain for what I received. I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter And then to the twelve 
And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was with was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me, whether then it was I or they. Is this is what we preach and this is what you believed So this apostle introduces us to a transition that took place in his life. And he talks to us a little bit about who he was before and who he was after. In our modern language, it might be a message like this that he heard. Watch the video, please. What if God told you who you are? That in him there is no condemnation. No judgment. No rejection. What if God told you that he loves you? That he will never stop loving you. What if God told you? That he doesn't keep a log of past offenses. Of how little you pray. Or how often you've disappointed him. What if he told you that you are righteous? Because of his righteousness. Right now. What if he told you to stop beating yourself up? That his grace for you abounds. Even when you think the most horrible thoughts. Because you are already made in his image. What if he told you that if you repent and if he's your savior, you're going to heaven? No matter what. What would your life look like then? If you stop trying so hard. And just let God live his life through you. Grace. Mercy. Forgiveness. Salvation. Redemption. Through Jesus Christ. Our savior. We are loved. We are saved. Now let's live it like we know it. What if certain people that struggle with this so much in this world, if that message resonated with them, how many unlikely, unlikely messengers would rise out of that pool? Now think about that carefully this morning as we walk through our topic and our points, while the death and burial portion of the gospel story is easily accepted. Church, understand that the resurrection is a miraculous event and it's an event that has to be supported. Now, this is what I'm saying about that. In the time that Jesus was crucified, in the time that he was killed on the cross, that wasn't an uncommon occurrence. That happened all the time. That's the way they did away with people who caused problems. They crucified them. So to see a man hanging on the cross or to see a man taken from the cross and laid in a grave was not an uncommon thing to happen. But what was uncommon is when the, the people went to the grave and rolled the stone away to go in and see the body and make sure that the smell and the stench and all those things weren't wasn't taking its toll was for the tomb to be empty. Now, that was a miracle and that was uncommon. And it's that uncommon part of the gospel story, the resurrection that makes Jesus who Jesus was. 
But it's a part of the story that also has to be supported. It has to be, it can't just be laid out there like the death and the burial because it's the miracle piece. Are we on the same page? You guys following me? It's so important that that piece of this is understood. Now, two things made Paul a special witness to this. He was abnormally born, which what that means in the text is that Paul's apostleship, Saul's apostleship was brought to pass after the ascension. And he's the only one of the apostles at this time that that's true. He was called after Jesus died on the cross, was buried and resurrected. So this is that abnormal birth piece of the text in which and and then he was the persecuting adversary of the gospel. Here's what I want you to understand This is a man that not only despised Christianity, he wanted to destroy Christianity. This went beyond a hatred for Christianity. Now, all of us, I bet, know someone who will challenge Christianity, whether it's in our workplace, whether it's in our family, whether it's in our neighborhood. But how many of you know someone personally that wants to literally destroy Christianity? That's a whole nother level. So when we see Saul make this turn, it's an amazing testimony of what God does. And it's an amazing testimony to the potential truth of the story. I want to contrast two uh, portions of Scripture. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 Verses 54 through 59. Let's let's read what the scripture says to us here. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, and this is the story of Stephen in Acts chapter seven, one of the first called uh, disciples, if you will, to be kind of a deacon in the deacon role, the role of serving the church. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this and heard his testimony, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They rushed at him. Dragging him out of the city and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of the young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord, just receive Lord, receive my spirit. Now, here's here's what's going on in this story. Saul stands at a distance and he's given these men permission to grab Stephen. And so the men who grabbed Stephen, they would lay their coats and their cloaks at at the feet of. Of Saul as they drug the man out of the city. This was one to keep from getting all nasty and sweaty and dirty, and two to keep from getting blood on their clothing. And they would drag the man, whoever this was, in this case Stephen, all the way out to the to the externals of the city. It was a pretty good distance, and it was hard to see. And Saul would be the person that would pick up the brightest garment. And when they were in a place that he approved of, he would wave. The brightest garment and the stoning would commence. This is the role that Saul of Tarsus was playing against the church. In this moment of his life, he was not a supporter of Jesus. 
And so later on in this text, what I want you to see is when he becomes a voice for the gospel, he's a pretty unlikely candidate. And church, what I want us to understand as well, in this room, there are unlikely candidates. And in the world outside our doors, there are unlikely candidates. And they are called potential Christians. And they are called the responsibility of of current Christians. It's our responsibility to go out and to try to find and evangelize and convert these potential Christians. It's our task. It's our mission. It's our call. Now, I want to contrast contrast Acts seven with Acts nine. Look at in your Bibles at Acts nine verses one through five. And this is where we're going to see the one eighty. This is where we're going to see the transition that's so important. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples in verse one. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice to him say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? He asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city and you will be told what to do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless because they heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. See, Paul realizes in this moment that his dark past is simply a backdrop for God's grace to be displayed all the remaining days of his life. And and brothers and sisters, for many of us, that's the potential of our life right now. Our life is potentially a backdrop that that Jesus will make a beautiful painting of. He'll make something artistically and spiritually beautiful for the world to see. Now, look, not all of us come from the same from the same place. I understand that. If you look at if you look at my life, the reason why I love Saul and the reason why I'm preaching this about Saul and the reason why I think he's such an unlikely candidate to be a messenger is I can connect with him. If anybody you would have asked at a young age when they knew me, they would have, if, if you would have said, you know, what's the chance he's going to be a minister? I guarantee you it's not in my yearbook. I promise you that. And some of you are saying, well, it probably shouldn't have been. And that's okay. What I want you to see is what God has the potential to do with anyone. You know, you may be a person that's been brought up in the church your whole life. You were being read the Bible when you were in the womb. And God's used you then to raise your family and to share that message with your family. That's awesome. That's your landscape. That's what God's done with your work of art. But he can also take someone like Saul, who's a murderer and a killer and despises Christianity, someone that wants to destroy it. 
and he can make the same beautiful piece of art. And I want everybody in the room and in the world to hear that today. Because that's our hope. Look at what is said in First Timothy Chapter one, verses 12 through 14. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who's given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I want us to hear today, teenagers, especially to you and and to the young adults in the group, because this is a this is an age group that I think you sometimes get stuck in your dark landscape. You don't have to get stuck there. You don't have to stay there. God wants to make it beautiful. He's already painted a beautiful picture for you. And the question is, can you see it? Can you see it? And if you can see it, can you embrace it? You know, that goes for all of us, but it's so hard when we're young. And and oftentimes that's where we get stuck. And by the time we can recover, half of our life is gone. We need not get stuck there. We need not walk in darkness. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 17, he goes on to write, here's a trustworthy say, saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for what? For that very reason, I was shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. As an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, immortal, invincible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In fact, you know, this morning what this says to the young minister, Timothy, is tell your congregation, tell people that sit and listen to you this. The worse you are. The worse you are, the more God can do with you. Now, think about that for a second. I got a buddy I've talked about you. I've talked to you guys about about him often. He's in the Navy. He's been a Christian ever since he was by his daddy's side. He's an awesome young Christian man. But here's the deal. He was expected to be. That was his expectation. Right. He he, now has he had his little struggles. Absolutely. But I guarantee you. He never did any some of the stuff that I did (laughs) and that some of our friends did. In fact, he was always the one there trying to help us through it. That's his portrait. And God can do a lot with that. But a lot of people would look at it and say, well, Jason kind of had the spiritual silver spoon in his mouth, right? It's amazing when God takes people of the other cloth and turns them around. Because then the people that look at that person and they know that person's sin and they know that person's darkness and then they see him turn 180 like that. That's an unbelievable testimony. And that person becomes a very unlikely, unlikely messenger of the faith. So the worse we are, the more God can do. Just remember that. Every true apostle, prophet, shepherd, preacher will present a gospel That includes the resurrection. 
It is the truth found in the death, burial and resurrection that anchors the teaching of Christianity. Listen to me, church. We're entering into this month and this the whole reason for this series of lessons that I'm going to teach on the resurrection is simply this. The last weekend of this month, the world is going to celebrate a day. It's called Easter. Now, here's the deal. I know we take pride in saying, you know what? We don't have to celebrate that if we really don't want to, because we do that every Sunday. Well, good for us. But what I want us to understand is there are going to be people on that day and on that weekend that have their ears open for the gospel that don't have it open any other time. And what I want us to be able to do is to present to them a gospel that doesn't get stuck on the cross or stuck in the grave. I want it to be a gospel that demonstrates and exemplifies a risen Lord, a risen Savior, because it's the resurrection, the miracle part of the gospel that makes it real. Otherwise, it's a story of a good man who did good things and died for it. And so as we prepare for the opportunity that weekend, when somebody's setting a a bunny out on their on their driveway or hiding some eggs under a tree outside, that you can walk out and go next door and say, yeah, you know what? Our church is going to have a a, a great day of of discussion. And we're going to talk about the death and burial and resurrection. You ought to come. And when they begin to ask questions, what I want us to do in that talk of the gospel is not just say, you know what? Jesus died for you. Yeah, that's great. No, Jesus died for you and he was buried for you and he got up and walked out of the grave for you. And that's what makes him awesome. And that's what I want to prepare us for. John chapter 11 and verse 25 says this. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live and even will live even though they die. The resurrection has power to the message. Mark 8, verse 31, Jesus says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief of priests, and the teachers of the law, and that He must be killed and after three days rise again. This is the gospel message. And it's not until Jesus walks out of the tomb that the gospel message is complete. In church this morning, I want us so badly to understand and to know that. Because it's from that gospel message that God God will raise some unlikely messengers to go out and present the gospel to the world. That He'll do some changes that are complete 180s for people as they repent. And they'll go out into the world and share the gospel. I want you to listen to these two quotes this morning in closing. And uh, and then we're going to have the opportunity this morning as a family. To to celebrate. And to pray over. And to begin to support and encourage and be encouraged by a new shepherd to this church family. It's someone who's stepping up beyond the role of a sheep standing in the pasture to a sheep that's exiting the gate and is going to stand outside the gate and is going to shepherd this flock. And it's this huge step 
that goes beyond what many of us ever experience in leadership. And so this morning, as we celebrate that and as we welcome that to our congregation, I want us to understand that it's only by the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus that something like that's even possible. The establishment of the Holy Spirit, which will guide Stan and guide Kathleen in shepherding. All anchored in your Christianity to the gospel. Charles Colson wrote this in closing. This is this is good for us during the election season. I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. They proclaimed that that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. Some of the young people are going, watch Watergate. <laughs> Ask your mom and dad. Um, you're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? That's absolutely impossible. Maybe impossible is a strong term, but that's logical, isn't it? Timothy Keller, who wrote The Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism, said this. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he was resurrected. And that is also true. Because if Jesus didn't walk out of that grave, if the resurrection never occurred, then there would be no reason for an unlikely messenger. There would be no power to make that change. There would be no Holy Spirit because it would be a false story. In church, it's not. And our Christianity is anchored to a gospel that includes the resurrection. And that's why we're going to spend the next three weeks looking at it. And studying it and being ready to have that conversation with the world so that we might help establish some unlikely messengers. May God bless you this morning. If you have a need this morning, please make that need known while we stand and sing together. Um, and at the conclusion of our invitation this morning, the elders will be coming forward with Stan and Kathleen Harris for our presentation of Stan uh, as, as one of our elders coming in. Please stand while we sing together.